This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall and him, Pete George. Well, they're back. XGFC from the Black Country. No, only kidding. But it's not like last season. But Albion did score a 2.45 in XG, but unfortunately could only manage the one goal. But that really is the only negative from the game on Monday night against Watford, because otherwise it was an absolutely superb performance. Pete, um, I did get a message after we released the pod last week, which said, um, great pod, really enjoyed it, but blooming heck, you guys were a bit negative for a game that was that was 50-50. I can sort of see that. I can see where they're coming from because we did spend a lot of time talking about what went wrong in the first half uh, rather than what went right in, in the second half. But I think today's pod is going to be a lot more heavily weighted toward the positives because I don't think there were a lot of negatives, were there? Uh, no, I think... I don't think you can criticise any player, really. I mean, we just completely dominated the game, outplayed them. I was looking at the field tilt before we started recording, and which is basically possession, but it counts the passes only in your final third and their final third. So it's kind of like, you know, good possession rather than just pointless possession, moving it around the back. And over the whole game, we had like 87%, which is, I mean, that's massive. If you look at that as pure possession, then... You probably won't get any games in a season that's that high. So it just, I mean, that shows just how dominant we were and in their territory as well. It has to be said, we were quite critical on the last pod of Steve Bruce and how he set the team up in the first half. He got it very right in the second half against uh, against Middlesbrough. We felt he got it wrong in the first half. And it, you've, we've got to be, we've got to be fair. We've got to be balanced on this pod because you and I have not always been the greatest advocates of Steve Bruce as the West Bromwich Albion manager, but he got it so massively right last night. He also seems to have got the players to buy into what he wants them to do. I feel like they look fitter. I I was saying to, to my dad and the guys who sit around me during the game that there's one or two of them that I think have been, been in the gym who look stronger. Grady certainly looks stronger. I think Darnell Furlong looks a better physical specimen than he, than he did last season. I thought he looked much, much stronger on the ball. So I think whatever Bruce is doing in a strength and conditioning sense seems to be really working. I mean, one swallow does not make a summer. We have to uh, we we have to always caveat that this is one game and we didn't even win it to be fair but nonetheless it's a massive massive plus and a lot of Albion fans that I spoke to after the game said that they feel like Bruce is convincing them that that they they you know they are on they're on the Steve Bruce train and I can understand why let's give the praise where it's due Pete he's he's getting it right and if we can continue 
in this vein, if we can show that level of intensity, but also that level of quality and that level of tactical acumen, Steve Bruce is absolutely the man to lead us forward, isn't he? That was one of the best performances I've seen from Albion in a in a long time, really. So you can't really argue with it. Um, you got everything spot on, and genuinely, against... when when would you go back to to find a better display than that? Because I can't even remember. I can't even remember that many under Slav that were that were that dominant. As I say, it's crazy because we're talking about a one-one draw here. But nonetheless, I can't remember an Albion team bossing a, a t- any team, let alone one that's just come down from the Premier League like that. I, I, I think we're going to have to go back a decent way to find a, the last time we dominated a game like that. Yeah, and that's what I was about to emphasise that it was against Watford, a team that had just come down from the Premier League with players like Ishmael Assar and Emmanuel Dennis. I mean, I don't rate him that highly, but even Tom Cleverley has got however, played however many Premier League games in his career. So, Jal Pedro. Jal Pedro, of course, yeah. So they've got quality in the side. And, I mean, we made it look like they didn't. They could barely get into our half. Um, they didn't really create a chance. Um, obviously, they had the penalty and, and their goal, but... They yeah, but one's from the halfway line and the penalties, uh, it, uh, it's our player that plays the plumbing through ball. Yeah, exactly. So they didn't create chances there. I think when you look at the XG, apart from those, it was about 0.25 that they created, which is, I mean, that's next to nothing. So, you know, we were solid defensively when we had to be, but a lot of the game we didn't have to be that much because of how well we were keeping the ball in their third and how well we were pressing them and forcing them to go long which is easy for a giant O'Shea to just win those aerial duels and reset and attack again. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they we did keep a fairly high line, which is which is why Button gets done for the goal, isn't it? Because uh, because obviously when you keep a high line, then then it's important that your goalkeeper it has a fairly high starting position so that he can get out and sweep in case they do play a ball over the top and somebody like Dennis or Saar gets, gets the run on O'Shea or, or Ajayi or Townsend or Furlong. But... I mean, most of the time, when they were trying to pop those balls over the top, Furlong, Ajayi, O'Shea, they won the header. And we, we, didn't, we did not look in trouble. I mean, I can, I, I can really think back to there was one right at the end of the first half where Saar got in down the side and Buttons had to make a save. Obviously, you've had the penalty. I'm not even counting the, 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 the goal as a chance because... It's not. I mean, you know, uh, I'd love to see what the XG on it is because it's, it, it, I mean, it's probably like 0.01 or something stupid like that because you just don't score from there. I mean, it's brilliant. You can't, you can't knock the lad. It's, you know, what the first touch is unreal and the finish is just incredible. But you can't criticise anybody in the album. I mean, I've seen people trying to have a bit of a go at Jake Livermore about it because he punts the ball up in the air just before it. Okay, it's not the greatest bit of play, but blimey, you know, he's put the ball up in the air on our halfway line. 999,999 times out of a million. There's absolutely no danger on that. So I, I, uh, as well as going forward, I thought we were rock, rock solid defensively. And again, Pete, when, when we come back to, we're not talking about, any mugs here in the championship. We're talking about a team that has Saar, Dennis and Jao Pedro across the front. And I'm genuinely sitting here and saying, apart from a couple of like moments where they maybe got a bit of a run on us, they just didn't cause us any problems. They've been reduced to scoring a goal from the halfway line. Okay. They've won a penalty, but we've played the through ball. And even then, I just think Ajayi makes a bad decision because I don't think I don't think he needs to push him. I, I I think he's going wide and at best he's going to get a shot away at a tight angle that that Button is probably going to save fairly comfortably. Other than that, the only the only one where I can really think of where I was sweating, as I say, is when Saar got in down down the side. I mean, when you reduce a side like Watford to those to the, to that amount of chances. And we'll come on to talk about the attacking side of it in a minute. But from a defensive point of view, you have to say it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and there was one that they didn't get a shot from it, actually, that I just thought of. But they kind of put the ball across the face of goal. And 
Townsend, I think it was Townsend made an it absolutely was. He crucial touch. It away. Yeah. Because other if he hadn't touched that, then whoever one of their forwards was coming in at the back post and basically putting it into an empty net after it had gone across the face of goal. So that was brilliant from Townsend. Yeah, like you say, the goal, you can't really blame the keeper. Can't blame Livermore for me. The only two that you can possibly look at is O'Shea and Ajay because Sal was the furthest one up the field and there was absolutely no pressure on him when he was taking the ball out the sky or even looking to shoot, which is why I can get his head up and do it. But but surely you, know. you just you just don't even you, you surely you don't even think he's going to try that, do you? Let alone execute it. No, but I think you still need to get a bit of pressure on him, even if you're not making it to him in time to compete in the air. Just get tight to him and stopping him from turning. I mean, it was a moment of magic, so you can't take him take that away from him. But you know, if you're unpressured in the middle of the pitch like that, you've got space to do it. But yeah, Ajay was excellent. You know, he bullied. Bullied Dennis and Saar and, and Jeff Did he make, did he make he did. a mistake for the penalty for you? Does do, do you think he needs to put hands on him? No, I don't, I don't think he... It would have been a good chance for... Was it Saar that was through? Yes, I believe it was. Yeah, it would have been a good chance for him, but probably not a chance worth the same as a penalty, if you know what I mean. I mean, if you're looking at pure XG terms, then it's penalties not 0.79 XG, and that chance wouldn't have been that high... From that angle, you're probably looking at something like 0.3, something like that. So they they might drop uh, Sars XG on his penalties though, based on that effort going forward. <laughs> yeah, but, it was one of the worst penalties I've seen in a long while. Yeah, it was awful. If you put it slow, at least put it down the middle where the keeper's diving away from, rather than just I, I don't know. It was just a dream penalty for a keeper, really, wasn't it? And I was surprised about Button's record. They put that up on Sky. He saved like. I think it was seven out of 20 penalties he's faced in the championship, which is, yeah, some record. Yeah, I, I heard that. I, I was I, I was really surprised. I didn't, I had no idea he had a, he had such a good penalty record. I mean, you couple that with, uh, with, with Sam's, we've, we've had some right penalty saving keepers to be fair to him. While we're on David Button, I want to, I want to stick with this uh, a moment actually, Pete, because one of the features of the last pod, and again, something that, divided people on Twitter when I started putting the clips out um, was our comments about David Button and his distribution and our concerns around it. They seem to evaporate for this game. And I mean, for me, it it seems the reason seems to be, again, Steve Bruce, who who just, again, has done a really... He seems he seems to look and see problems and address them. I think one of the, the the issues, the big issues that people had with Valerian Ishmael, was that he was inflexible. And I get that because it back to the old Albert Einstein quote: uh, "The definition of madness is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results." And whilst that isn't necessarily always applicable to football, I do understand where you're coming from. And I think if you ask David Button to continue to try and distribute the way that he tried to distribute against Borough, I think you, we would have had a really, really prob- really big problem all season. And it would have been pretty hairy most games. And you would genuinely have been worrying about your goalkeeper giving away a daft goal most weeks. But David Button is not terrible with the ball at his feet he's just not Sam Johnston who whatever people might think and I'm standing by this is one of the best it was one of the best distributors of a football out of the goalkeepers in the championship and probably going up the leagues as well he is one of the best players goalkeepers with with his feet Button is okay he's not amazing but he's not terrible either but what he needs is options and Bruce just made sure that Furlong and Townsend were the outballs all night long. I mean, I I went through the the the, the touches, uh, the, how many touches each player had, and I mean, it wasn't a massive surprise to me. But you rarely see a player having more than a touch a minute in in a game is pretty impressive. We had two players who had more than a touch a minute. Townsend had 100 touches. Furlong had 97. To put that in perspective, the next highest is Jed Wallace on 83 touches. You, you, know, you just don't get players who have that many touches in a game, but they became so integral 
to the way we played. I thought they were both unbelievable last night. I mean, we'll probably do a little bit of a focus on Darnell Furlong in a minute, Pete, because I know both of us want to stick up for him. I see you've already put something out on Twitter today about him. But just before we get into the specifics of of particularly Furlong, just generally, the role of the fullbacks last night was so massive. They fixed the distribution problem and Steve Bruce has to take a lot of the credit, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Watford were kind of pressing with the the front three. Jao Pedro was kind of dropping a bit deeper, but they were all quite narrow. So it meant that we could fairly easily use the, you know, the fullback on the side that didn't have the ball at the time would always be free. So we kind of just recycle the ball around to them and then try and move it forward with them before the Watford team had shifted across. And Furlong and Townsend, along with O'Shea, actually had the highest number of progressive passes. They all all got nine progressive passes, which is good. And it, I mean, it shows the importance of, of them in that system to, to move the ball forward, but also be patient and not have to, to rush it forward. You know, if there's not a good option going forward, then we can move it around to the other fullback and, and see if there is there and just keep the ball until, until we're ready to, to move it forward and keep it in the final third. And um, just adding into that, the, the, the options ahead of them, because we, when you look at where the passes went last night, not a lot of them went back in towards the middle, towards Livermore, Molumbi, and later in the game, Yukoslu. But the amount of... It's not, it wasn't a surprise to me that Jed Wallace was third on that list for touches, because Wallace and Dean Garner, I thought, showed brilliantly for the fullbacks. And it was just... I mean, it was just a, such a team effort, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, Wallace and... You mentioned Wallace and Dean Guy sharing for the fullbacks. Other than Grant, they received the highest number of progressive passes. Um, and I was surprised, almost surprised about Dean Garner because he showed quite a lot of strength and almost technique to receive the ball a few times. Where the way he's positioning his body and getting his arm up to protect protect himself. Well, go, going back to my earlier point, Pete, do you do you agree that, um, that that it looks like there's been quite a lot of strength and conditioning work done with quite a few of these players? And also uh, in terms of um, their durability as well, because to keep that intensity and level of pressing up for 90 odd minutes, which is what we did last night, the fitness has got to be good with these lads. And it seems like there's been a lot of work done over the summer. I'd said initially at the start of the season that Dean Garner looked like he'd bulked up and worked on his strength and everything. And I, I couldn't really see it in the training pitches initially, but when he came on against Borough, I noticed it straight away. He looks a lot fuller. His upper body just looks a lot wider and stronger. But, you know, he's still as quick and nimble as he was was previously. So, yeah, that's a massive advantage. And the durability, yeah, um, definitely agree on that. I think we did start to tired towards the end um, and you could see it by us not creating as much but I mean we still had that intensity to win the ball back whenever we lost it and still dominated possession all the way to the end and never really looked in doubt of conceding another goal we always looked in control and definitely the more likely the two teams to grab the winner we, we're going to slightly ignore Connor Townsend not not uh, out of disrespect because I thought Connor Townsend was absolutely outstanding last night. But the so, something of a target for abuse, blame, whatever you want to call it, um, seems to have been in recent weeks, Darnell Furlong. Now, we have, whilst acknowledging the fact that at times he hasn't had some of his best games, and I didn't think he had one of his best games at Middlesbrough, I think Pete and I have both both said at times on this uh, on this pod that, we think he's he's got a huge role to play. He has assets that not a lot of fullbacks in this division have. You know, he is quick. Um, he is, I mean, obviously the throw is helpful. I mean, we nearly scored from one of those last night. And he's got a great spring on him. And I think last night, Pete, we saw... I think we saw exactly why you and I have been saying that for a while. That's not us being uh, trying to be smart, but I, th- I think you, I think you, you started to see how Darnell Furlong at right back, not right wing back, at right back in this system, 
can be absolutely massive. And I realise we probably do need another option at, at fullback. But me personally, I would not be looking for somebody to come in and replace Furlong. I would be looking for somebody to challenge him and somebody who, if they had to step in to his shoes, is capable of doing that. But there's, uh, on last night's showing, and I don't think last night's showing will be isolated because I think Darnell Furlong is a very good player in the right system. And I think maybe we found the right system for Darnell Furlong. I think he could be a massive player for us this season. Yeah, I've always thought that he's more than good enough to be a first-choice right-back in the Championship. I think he's good when he goes forward, when he's got that support from his winger as well, um, because he links up nicely with them. And I wish he, he'd score a goal, though. Three shots again last night. Yeah, but he, I mean, he does get into good positions for it, which is promising, I guess. Um, the, the long throw is massive, obviously. It's such a threat when you can launch a ball into the box like that. It's, you know, most throw-ins play it to a man that's being pressed from behind and then he has to play it back and then you're instantly, you know, you're in a tight spot and quite often end up losing the ball. So to be able to just launch it into the box and see what happens, I think it's it's well worth having and using, to be honest, even if it's not the, the prettiest thing because it's just, well, very difficult to defend and, and threatening. Um, even if we don't instantly score goals from it, we're, we're causing issues. We're winning corners from it. We're just putting the defence under pressure and I think it's a massive tool to have. So, I mean, that's just a bonus because even without that, I think he'd be a, a good fullback at, at this level. So, yeah, I think he'll be a, a very useful player this season. On the subject of the of the throw-ins, Pete, there's something, you know, there's something that I wanted to flag up. Are we a little bit of a set-piece team? And I don't mean this negatively because I think it's a positive thing, but we had 19 attempts, 19, by the way, 19 attempts last night. Oh, how we only scored one goal, I will never know. But we had 19 attempts last night. 10 of them came from set pieces. Now, we've got so many weapons, haven't we, in those areas? You've got Wallace and Swift's delivery from from free kicks. You've got Wallace's delivery from corners. You've got Darnell Furlong's throw-ins. I mean, we we, we are... We could well be a bit of a set-piece team. I mean, it does bring us on a little bit to how badly perhaps we're crying out for a physical type number nine. And, you know, the understanding is that from what Bruce has said last night, that the injury to Daryl DK is worrying um, to the point where he does want to go into the transfer market for, for another centre forward. It does seem to emphasise the fact that we are, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to Grant, a bit similar to the conversation that we had when 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 I said after after the, the game against Borough that um, that DK should be starting. That's not a slight on Grant. I thought Grant, although he missed a couple of chances he should have scored last night, was largely excellent. But when you look at where our threats are coming from, we are crying out for a, for a physical type number nine, aren't we? The thing is, I think DK would be absolutely perfect because. What Grant did really well was he dropped in on occasions to receive the ball um, and made himself an option to progress it out from the back, but without using the the wide areas. Um, and then he also, you know, made those double movements where he drops in short and then spins and runs in behind and, um, you know, gets onto the through balls, like for the goal. And um, there's another one where he, he got played through, but tried to turn and ended up losing the ball. But movements like that are, are really useful and on that he does that check so often i wish he'd show a bit more directness and confidence when he gets when he gets played through because i honestly think he can outpace the majority of center halves in this in this division but he always seems to check there was loads of examples of it last season and as you say he did it last night and and i mean he was checking back onto his left which he was never going to blooming shoot with anyway and what I was what I was going on to was that the stuff that he did really well i think DK would also do really well. I think it's kind of his game to want to run in behind. He's not just a pure target man. I think he's better as someone, you know, on a fast, on a transition, on a fast counter-attack, play the ball in behind, let him sprint and and you use his pace and power in that way. But obviously he's got the physicality and the height to attract as a target man as well. So if he can make the runs in behind as well as dropping in to receive the passes, but then be a a target and a threat in the box when we're whipping that many crosses in as well, then, you know, it'd be the perfect striker for the system. So I think we do need to look 
out for someone in the transfer market that is a similar mould to Daryl DK and probably not the likes of Adam Armstrong. Would Graben perhaps be that kind of player? Or I mean, another name that's been kicked around in the last few days is is Jamal Lowe. Uh, would, you, would you be looking at either of those two? Yeah, maybe. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Jamal Lowe, to be honest. With Graben, you know, he'll get chances in good areas and score you a few goals. Um, but he's... I'm not sure. He's obviously tall, but I'm not sure how good he actually is in the air. Um, he, you know, he's no Andy Carroll, even though he has got height on his side. He's not going to win everything that goes into the box. Um, again, I'm not sure how quick he is anymore to make the runs in behind. So I don't think he'd be a bad option on a on a one-year deal because, you know, he's experienced and he does get shots off in really good areas. And, you know, if he continues, consistently do that then you're going to score goals which is obviously what we need but I don't think he's the the perfect man for the job if you know what I mean I think the one and I've no idea whether they'd have uh, whether they'd be prepared to let him back out on loan again as they did last season but the one for me would be I'd love to see is Keenan Davis from Villa yeah I think he'd be brilliant to be honest um I, they were, I think at the start of the window there was talks that Villa wanted what to sell him rather than loan him out and they wanted what like 15 and 16 of million or something i think yeah but if they haven't got that money off. by the end of the window though they might they might and and they've got they've got enough strikers you know he seems to be prepared to use archers in the first team so they'll have watkins ings and archer all for one place if nobody's coming and stumped up the money the best option might be to let him out on loan yeah it could well be but do we need to forward him before that you know if dk's out injured then we kind of just current to to play that role. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing Bruce will look to bring someone in sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also want to just talk a little bit and uh, again, not not wanting to sort of like dwell on the negative in any way, shape or form, Pete, but we've we've talked a bit about how good we were and uh, and how and the amount of energy that uh, that 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 we um that, that we expended and uh, and I, I thought we were absolutely superb and we're going to come to two of the real real best cases of uh, of our energy and our pressing and 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 who who almost epitomized the albion performance in a moment when we we talk about a couple of individuals but just a question from me i mean did watford help us a little bit in in our performance last night i i was i was a little bit surprised because obviously i didn't watch a lot of rob edwards uh, forest green last season because i don't watch a lot of league 2 football but i've read a lot about him as a manager and i've heard a lot of pundits talking about him in very glowing terms and i kind of expected quite a high energy high pressing team from them I thought they let us have the ball quite a lot of the time last night which was moderately suicidal from them yeah I mean they pressed in moments but they didn't seem fully committed to it they you know like the man that they are leaving free would often often be the opposite side fullback which is where we just kind of worked it across or Livermore switched it across to to the free man there um so it felt like they didn't want to gamble on leaving one of our wingers as the free man when they're pressing because if we can if we can you know get a long ball diagonal out to Dean Garner or Wallace then and they're pressed higher then they're going to cause trouble so I don't know if they were worried about that but they didn't seem to fully commit to the the press like their wing backs weren't pushing on to to our full backs much which made it easy to play it around the back until until we were ready to to move forward um so yeah I'm not sure if they were kind of worried about what we could potentially the threats that we had um if they got the press wrong or we beat the press or whether it was just a case of Bruce you know doing his pre-match analysis and kind of setting up the team in the perfect way to to negate the the press of um Rob Edwards yeah because I suppose the point I'm kind of building towards or question uh uh, because it's I I don't know the answer to this but I suppose where I'm kind of uh, taking this a little bit is a lot of our problems last season, we actually performed quite well in the games that where teams came out and played against us, particularly under Bruce towards the end of the season. You think back to Fulham at home, Bournemouth at home, two of our best displays of the season. Yet where Bruce's team 
last season and Val's as well, to be fair, to a, to a large extent, fell down and why we were so far off the playoffs in the end was because we couldn't we we couldn't beat or break down what I would call park the bus teams. Now we've played so far this season two teams who are good teams, but will but but will definitely come and initially have a go at us. I mean, in the end, Watford did try and spoil and and stick for the point because they were so on the back foot. I didn't. I don't think they knew what else to do. But initial in the initial period, I don't think they came with the game plan of parking the bus as it were and certainly Middlesbrough didn't in the last in, in the last game but there will be there will be a number of teams particularly who will come to the Hawthorns this season who will come with the attitude of what we have we hold do you think we are better equipped to break those sorts of sides down this season and with this new style of play that Steve Bruce has implemented than we were last season probably yeah because I mean yesterday like I say, Watford didn't really fully commit to the press. So it's, I mean, they almost sat like a, a mid to a low block a lot of the time. So that's kind of what you'd expect from a team that's coming to the Hawthorns just to, to pick up a draw if they can and, and nick a win if, you know, if it, if it happens. Um, and the fact that we've got the quality of Wallace, who just seems to be able to find a, a yard of space out of nowhere and whipping across and a top quality cross as well. Um, is a you know it's a very good way to to break down those teams because similar to to yesterday we just kind of keep having the ball and and when you've got the ball that much you can swing in as many crosses as you want because um, you know you're going to get it back even if the cross doesn't work and with the quality of Wallace when you're swinging that just, many crosses, just on that forty two crosses we put into the box on on Monday night which again you know cro- almost across every two minutes. It goes to show the the need for somebody to get on the end of these. Yeah, and if you put them forty two crosses a game, then you know you'd expect one of them to to end up in the back of the net when you got the quality of Jed Wallace putting the crosses in. So I think that's promising. And if we can get Dan Garner back to his top form, then you know he's always very useful in breaking down those low blocks because he can commit his fullback and and beat him, and then they're you know instantly one man fewer behind the ball. Um, so that's where, you know, defenders have to move out of position to then close down Dean Garner. And that's when the, the space opens up in the box for our attackers. So I think that's promising. And as well as Swift, too, you know, he was a bit quiet yesterday, but he can definitely link up with players on the edge of the box, you know, one-twos and stuff that will help break down those teams. So, yeah, on the whole, I think we are much better equipped than we were last season to consistently break down teams that, just want to sit in. Well, let's take a moment to talk Jed Wallace because I could spend more than a moment talking Jed Wallace. I absolutely love him. Like, and I've watched I've watched two ninety minutes of him in an Albion shirt, and I've absolutely fallen in love with the guy. I think he's I think he's fantastic. I'm so chuffed as well that I, I tipped him up for uh, uh, on our predictions pod um, for fans player of the year because if he doesn't win it, I'm going to be absolutely gutted. I just think he's a, he's tremendous, Pete. Like I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, 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 I'm going to go full fanboy here, and I don't, I don't even care. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care who knows it. I love the guy. I think he's brilliant, but he's just so good at everything. He plays more. He, he plays more key passes than anybody else in the final third. Like uh, he creates more chances than anybody else. He puts more crosses in than anybody else, and yet on the other side of it, he actually had the equal amount of most successful tackles alongside the guy that I want to talk about in a second, Jason Malumbi, who I also thought was tremendous, but I just don't love him quite as much as Jed because there's only room for one in my heart at the moment. And it is, it is Mr. Jed Wallace, who I just think is absolutely brilliant. Like, yeah, tell me to calm down if you want, Pete, but I, I bloody love the bloke. No, he's incredible, isn't he? And a lot of the stuff he does is just so simple, really, because... I don't know how he does it, but he doesn't tend to beat his man. He just works a yard of space and well, half a yard of space is all he needs. And he, he whips in an incredible cross into the box. And it's not just like an aimless one either. You can see that he's he's picking his targets and just picking them out. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that we've managed to pick him up. I, after the first couple of performances, I definitely wouldn't have been surprised to see him join a Premier League club. And he just, yeah, the you can sense that he's got the character as well to 
be brilliant around the dressing room and, and bring players up and, you know, just be, be that center of, center of attention almost around the dressing room and just create the team spirit and everything. On that, do you think if he hadn't been playing for Millwall, a Premier League club would have took him? Yeah, probably because, I mean, yeah, I'm Millwall's. Millwall's Millwall, isn't it? Millwall's you know, Millwall, it's yeah, not it's sexy. Not like... Yeah. Yeah, it's not a fashionable team, really. So that, that may have been why. Um, but I mean, if he continues to perform like he has in the last two games for the whole season, then there's definitely going to be Premier League clubs sniffing around him come the end of the season, which, I mean... They can, they can get lost, mate. <laughs> My jet is going nowhere. Yeah, I think I'd echo that. And I mean, I do want I, I do want to talk about his former Millwall teammate as well. I mean, I could we could do a whole part of me to, talking about how how much I love Jed Wallace, but whilst it might be entertaining for a short period, it would probably get pretty sickening at at some point. So we'll move on. But let's just have a quick chat about Jason Mullumby. And I want to I want to just hand you the the reins on this one, really, Pete, because I know you've run the numbers on him. I I I thought he was tremendous last night. I just to be honest I thought I thought he was brilliant second half against Middlesbrough as well by the way. And it's a player that I don't think especially when we looked toward Yokoslu being fully fit. I think you and I thought that it would be Moa and one other in the center of that midfield. And I think we probably thought Moa and Livermore until Yokoslu gets fit and then Moa and Yukoslu, and we've—I mean, we kind of—we we started kicking around the idea of Malumbi might get moved on. He might go on loan. Bruce doesn't fancy him uh, as much as I'll—I'll I'll give us a little pat on the back when we get things right. We—I uh, we, think we've got this one dead wrong. Like I think I think Malumbi is the one who uh, certainly on those first two games is absolutely nailed on to play in central midfield. Yeah, and it's still not the. I mean, we give us a bit of credit that we're correct that he's not the progressive player, but Bruce's style seems to have. Um, yeah, we don't seem to need that right now. I don't know if we will later in the season, if teams start to figure it out that you know we might struggle if you cut off our supply from wide. But what Mullumby has done is is really impressive. Um, you know, last night he, against Watford, he kept the ball really well, just kind of moved it around. Like I said, we. We go side to side until we'd got that good opening to progress the ball in wide areas. Um, and he went out and supported Furlong and, and Wallace on occasions and, and moved the ball out to them. Um, but I think it's his defensive work that was, you know, the real standout from it. And it's largely, it was largely done in their half, to be honest. He picked up a lot of second balls from corners and set pieces and kind of secure possession there. When if someone hadn't, then it'd be a a real threat for Watford because they'd break. And when you've got players like Sarr and uh, Pedro and and Dennis running forward, then that would be a threat for them. So he picked up ball, second balls from there really well and stopped transitions when they did win the ball back. Um, There's a couple of fouls that he committed that were really important fouls as Watford win the ball back because I think that's a lot of the way that they wanted to attack and create chances was in those transitions with those quick forward players does so you got to break it to early his, does it speak to his maturity as well that he played an hour uh, 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 well what about 50 minutes with a, on a booking well yeah I mean as soon as I saw because I was that, so worried yeah as soon as I saw him get that book and I thought it's a red card waiting to happen but I mean he, he was still going into challenges which you know had my heart in my mouth at times but but there was Not but stupid, there was one there was one in the second half where there was a ball popped down the left hand channel. Um I, I presume as it was the left wing, it was for Dennis. And no, sorry, it would have, probably would have been Saar down the left hand side, wouldn't it? Um and and anyway, he's given chase and the and the defend the, the forward has stepped across the front of him. And I thought Malumbi of last year would have kicked his legs from under him. And he didn't. He just he backed off and he let him go. And he was mature enough to go. You're going wide. You're not going to score from here. And if I touch you, I'm I, I'm off. And and I, I and I thought, just maybe, just maybe, somebody's got through to him because he can't be a walking red card all season. And uh, he is going to pick up a lot of bookings. But as we said at the end of last season, Pete, if he's going to pick up bookings, they've got to be smart, smart bookings. They've got to be. It's got to be worth a booking. Yeah, and that's the booking that he did pick up was definitely worth a booking. Um, and he'd, he'd already got 
maybe two two or three in before that where he'd just fouled the player that had just picked up the ball to stop the transition before it even started, which, like I say, they're really important fouls when you play in a team like Watford that have got those pacey attackers and are looking to to transition quickly and create chances through that. So, you know, he got a few in early smart fouls and, you know, put another one in that he eventually got booked for. But I'd say that foul was, and the ones that he kind of built up before that booking were definitely worth that booking because it stopped Watford from creating a chance before they could even start an attack, if you know what I mean. And let's just talk about the midfield more generally, because as, as you say, I think Steve Bruce has caught you and I on the hop a little bit with with how he set the midfield up, because I think we thought, I mean, we, we probably didn't anticipate such good use of the fullbacks as, uh, as, an, uh, as a way out of defence. Um, and as you say, Pete, there might still be a need for a, for a more progressive ball playing type midfielder in that central midfield. But at the moment, I think we thought Moat has to play because he's the only one who can play with uh, play with the ball. But it seems like because Bruce has found another way out of defence, he can get away with two players who maybe don't have quite so much ability on on the ball and the and to be honest because the the of the, the work ethic of the other players around them that even when the ball does come to them you look at the the pass completions for Malumbi Livermore last night Jake Livermore had nearly 91% pass completion last night now i know it's only 30 odd passes but when when was the last time you saw Jake Livermore have, have a pass completion rate of 91% like it, it seems like Bruce has negated the need for that player in there, which probably goes some way to explaining why there's rumours of Moat going to Middlesbrough t- uh, today. Yeah, Livermore did a similar role that he did against Middlesbrough. That there was a few times where he'd switch the ball out to the other wing, which is, I mean, if Wallace is free or Furlong, either or, are free on their own out wide, and that switches on, then it's a really useful ball to have because. Um, you know, if Watford are defending defending us that and we're going down the left side of Townsend, if we can quickly switch that ball, then the whole of the Watford team is going to have to move across and close down Wallace or Furlong. So if we can get that across quickly, then it's a chance for, for us to attack down that right and maybe get a good ball into the box. But yeah, Livermore, he didn't touch the ball anywhere near as much as Malumbi did, but when he did have it, it was pretty secure in possession. And the one thing that I noticed was that he actually seemed to look up when he received the ball and actually look if there was anything on to just like a short, only a short one forward, but a little short one diagonal forward rather than just instantly playing it back to his defenders. There's a few times when he actually, he looked up and made the decision rather than just having it in his head that he's playing straight back to the centre back, which is, you know, that's that's useful to have. Um, so I th- I'd say it was an improvement on his middles performance and, I don't think his performance at Middlesbrough was particularly bad anyway. I suppose the big problem that Jake Livermore's got is that, I mean, Jason Malumbi, as we say, was absolutely tremendous. But I thought Yacoslu looked brilliant when he came in, it came on off the bench. And I don't understand why some fans, and it is a small minority, but it is a vocal minority, feel the need to try and blame everything on Jake Livermore, literally everything and try and suggest that he had a bad game every time he steps out onto the field in an Albion shirt, because I don't think, I don't think he's had a bad game in either of the two games that, that he's played this season. But I think the big problem that he's going to have is that he's, with the best will in the world, he's just, I don't think he's in the same class as OK Yukoslu. And if Malumbi keeps playing like he is, he's not, he's not getting dropped as well. I, I, I've got a funny feeling that at some point Yukoslu is going to start ahead of Livermore or Livermore gets a suspension or Liverpool, Livermore picks up a little injury. And I've got a feeling you might not get back in from that point. I could see that happening. Um, I think we'll probably stick with Livermore and Malumbi in the next game because they were solid together. Well, more than solid. They're quality together against against Watford. So I think he'll stick with that for now just while Yukuzlu, work, you know, builds up his, his fitness and his match time. He'll probably start to get more and more minutes off the bench. And then, yeah, like you say, once... Once the opportunity comes for Yakuzlu to start, then I imagine he'll secure his place because when he did come on against Watford, he he did look quality. You know, he had those a few a few little touches and turns in tight areas that you can just see that 
you can see why he was playing in the Premier League for us and why he was one of our best performance best performers in the Premier League. So I think he will secure his, his place in the future. Again, it's not the progressive midfielder that we're calling out for from early in pre-season um, and towards the end of the last season. But if that's not how we're looking to play, then it won't matter too much. And and we'll, you know, we will benefit from having Yakuzhlu in there from being even more solid defensively and, and being better on the ball. He can beat a man, you know, he's not as easy to press as Livermore if he gets the ball at his feet he can tend to work away, spin out of, you know, a man pressing him or, or lay it off simply. So I think I'd trust, yeah, I trust you could more on the ball. I'd be less nervous if he had a man coming towards him than if Livermore was on the ball. So, yeah, I think he will nail down his place in the team at some point in the near future. Last thing from me, Pete, where, where, where do you stand this week um, on both Steve Bruce being the man to to guide us forward and on Albion overall. I think I used the phrase one swallow does not make a summer earlier in the in the pod, but it did feel like and something we've not mentioned as well was the total and utter change of atmosphere at the Hawthorns, the way I haven't felt it that good probably since the Villa second leg in the playoffs. I think that's the last time I I probably felt an atmosphere like that at the Hawthorns. I thought it was absolutely tremendous last night. How, I and I I hope it was a watershed moment. I hope it was the moment that the fans got back on board with this team, got on board fully a hundred percent with Steve Bruce, and I hope we all move forward together. Are you on the Bruce train? Are you on the, you know, are you fully bought into this side and this this style of play? Uh, because it did feel like there was a bit of a watershed last night with uh, with with the Hawthorns crowd. Well, I've said before that I think with the squad of players that we do have now that we've made those additions, that we've actually got a bit more creativity and quality in the well, quality to create chances in the in the final third. That as long as he keeps the dressing room happy and positive and and the you know the fans as well to that extent then I don't think you'll need ton you know you get some managers that are they have these systems that they need to create chances on Conte's um very system based that you know he has these automas automizations that he needs to create chances where players instantly look for that pass and then they look for that pass and then that's how they create chances. I think with Bruce if you keep the players happy with the squad that we've got then they can almost carve out chances with their own creativity at this level rather than being told exactly where to pass and stuff um, and where to move. So I think in that respect, Bruce can definitely, definitely be the man to, to, you know, push us for playoffs and promotion come the end of the season because he's, I think he's renowned as a, as a good man manager in keeping the squad happy. I mean, you just have to look at the, the turnaround that we've had with Grady since Bruce has come in. Um, he's looking like he's finally getting back to, the grader that we saw under Billich, which again is a manager that's renowned for being a top man manager. Fantastic. And I, I, I too am feeling pretty positive about things. And I have to say, I was just so, so pleased to to experience that atmosphere last night. There was so much toxicity around the club throughout last season and it was spilling over into the stands and I was seeing violence be- uh, directed between Albion fans. I was seeing hate directed between Albion fans in the stands on social media. I just really hope all of that has gone away now. And I hope, like I say, last night was just this huge watershed moment where we, we as a supporter base can just all move forward together as one in the same direction, trying to pull towards the same goal, because whether you want to believe it or not, as fans, we have a huge, huge role to play. And when the atmosphere is as it was last season, and I realized that a lot of it was brought on by the players and the performances and the things that we had to, had to witness and endure on the pitch, that it was hard. And that I understand people's frustrations, but it doesn't help us get out of that hole when we create, generate a toxic atmosphere. Conversely, when you create, when you create an atmosphere like we created last night, 
that's why players can run for 93, 94, 95 minutes because the fans just carry them on their shoulders and the fans were unbelievable last night and long may it continue is all I'd say on that. On that note, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back after the Blackburn game, which obviously has now been moved to the Sunday at three o'clock. We won't do a post-League Cup pod because it's the League Cup, but we will we'll obviously be back after the Blackburn game and we might talk a little bit about the League Cup game if there's any significant stories. Maybe we get a look at one or two of the, uh, the youngsters. Maybe we get a look at Rias Cleary in a senior match environment, which I think all of us would be would be really, really pleased to see. Great news about him signing his contract. Very unexpected, I feel, for, for many of us. So that's tremendous. And I really hope we get a look at him on Thursday because that would be that would be absolutely brilliant. And again, we may well discuss that, but we will be back to predominantly talk Blackburn after the Blackburn game next week. Until then, thanks again for listening and up the baggies. TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.